Welcome to Narda Gusen Teaching Broadcast. I am Narda Gusen, your host, and I thank you for joining me right here on His Royal Diadems Radio, where we share and glean from the Word of God each week. My prayer is that your time spent with me will be both encouraging and educational so that you can be equipped and empowered in the things of the Lord. Now join me as we tune in to a broadcast already in session. God, today I do have a word from the Lord, and this word is going to speak to our hearts, and, and it was going to transform our lives, amen, if we apply the principles of God's word through faith and obedience. Let us pray. Lord, there is none like you. We can search through all eternity long and find that there is none like you. And today, Abba, I want to ask you for wisdom. I, I want to thank you that your wisdom will rain down from heaven upon us today. Let the light of your truth shine on our ways. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to be our teacher, to speak to our hearts a life-changing word. Yes, and we thank you, Father, for this opportunity. I thank you, oh God, that the hearts of your people is open and ready to receive what thus says the Lord, and that every listener tuned in will find hope and strength in what you will reveal to us through your word today. In Yeshua's name, amen and amen. But once again, I welcome you to this week's teaching on the Armor of God series. Amen. We thank you for joining us uh, week after week, and my prayer is that you are encouraged each time. Glory to God. Our foundational text is going to be taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, and it reads, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places. Therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness arrayed, and with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times with every kind of prayer and petition. To this end, stay alert with all all perseverance in your prayers for all saints. Amen. Amen. God bless his, uh, his word. Amen. It's life to our bodies and health to our flesh. And today we have come to the conclusion of the Armor of God series as we are now in the final lesson. And that's lesson seven. And I have entitled it The Arrows of Prayer. And today we're going to talk about prayer and the different forms or, or types of prayers and what they mean to us and how we execute them against the enemy, because we know we have an enemy, amen? But in recapping a bit of the last lesson, lesson six, which was the sword of the spirit, we did cover the various components of the sword. Uh, we learned that this is an offensive arm um, of defense, and it was heavily used by the Roman soldiers in practice for warfare. We learned that the sword that they practiced with, with was twice the size and weight. And, and we know that the spiritual sword of the spirit is a 
two-edged sword, and it cuts on both sides. But the beauty of this sword is that while it cuts on one side, there is an agent of healing on the other. Amen? And so it is this same weapon that I thought would kill me. (laughs) It actually sustained me and offered me personal strength on days that I needed to recover from the blows of life. Because, you know, I didn't always win battles. I didn't always hit my targets. But in my journey in walking with the Lord, I found that this divine supernatural sword that I used for fighting spiritual battles had the power to mysteriously convert into a book called the Bible. And it would provide aid and provision, instruction and guidance during my times of rest from combat. Because who knows that the Lord does give us, at least for a season he does, he gives us rest from our fights, from our battles, so that we can regroup, amen, so that we can heal. Because let me tell you, people of God, you know, we we have a tendency or, or people have a tendency of painting, you know, this false narrative that every day is going to be rainbows and butterflies. But there were dark days. There were days that were so grim, I couldn't even see my, my hand in front of me. Days that were filled with despair. Days when it seemed I lost my way through the smog and the confusion that blistered around me. Days when the view of my path had become vague and formless. And I had to learn to depend on the knowledge and the ability of this sword, which is the word of God. And I had to trust it to light the path of my feet and allow it to steer me in the right direction. Because somebody listening today needs direction. You know, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. And you know, much to my surprise, this sword that turned into a book of instructions would take on yet another transformation. You see, this sword would become my pillow at night, catching the tears that would often flood to stain its pages, offering comfort for my brokenness and serving as an ointment for my wounds. Because somebody listening today needs healing. Because if you need healing, whether it is physical, emotional, whether it's mental or psychological, whatever type of healing you need, this book is the answer. God's word is life to those who find it and health to all the flesh. And so this book provided comfort for my soul. It was healing for my brokenness and relief for my burdens. It was my pillow where I could lay my head down at night and find peace. Glory to God. You see, I can only speak for myself. Because there were times in my Christian journey that I encountered this sword that turned into this book of instructions, and then it became a pillow of peace for my soul, that I also came to know it as the rod of correction. And because of sin and, and intentional rebellion of my, fe- of my flesh, it would serve as a holy whip to drive the disobedience out of my life. And it strikes though painful as they could be, was the only thing powerful enough to confront and deal with the rebelliousness of my pride and my arrogance and drive out the foolishness from my heart. 
And eventually, the rod of correction, glory to God, will lead me back to a place of genuine repentance and submission to the God that said would never leave me or forsake me. And people of God, after all that I've been through, I found that the things I held closely to my heart were now replaced by this book that I had come to love and will become my companion for life. The Bible, the Bible, God's word, the Bible, the book that would outlast the ages of time, the book that continues to speak, the book that is still the world's number one bestseller, the book that has the power to transform lives, the only book of life that has the author present whenever it is read, the book that cannot be burned, yet burns within the heart of its inhabitants, the book that cannot be drowned, but it is itself a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The Bible, the Bible, glory to God. God's word, the Bible. It is this book, friends, whose words I've learned to depend on that will speak to me in the hours of my greatest despair. And when everything around me failed, it was this book and the promises contained within it that gave me the consolation and the strength that I needed to press forward, despite the fierceness of the storms and raging winds of life, yes. And in my moments of downfalls and defeat, because I, I encountered many, but guess what? Even in that, Abba in his grace and mercy, being patient and kind, was allowing and teaching me strategically how to not just fight by swinging aimlessly, not just thinking that I can live anyhow, talk to people anyhow, deal with sloppy work ethics, and, and, and then somehow stand on some righteous pedestal to name it and claim it. No, friend. This sword isn't biased by any means, not even to the righteous. This sword would sometimes wreak you know, it would wreck my life. This sword came only for, not only for my enemies, but it came to deal with my flesh and my pride and my rebelliousness and disobedience. Because who knows that whom the Lord loveth, he corrects and disciplines as sons and daughters. And it's all because he loves us. The scripture says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And discipline came to set things straight so that I could in spirit and in truth competently confront my opponent head on to successfully gain territory and the victory. Amen. And this involved aligning or actually realigning my life, my ways, my words, my thoughts, and bring it, bringing it all into submission to faith in the same direction. And all while, as the Holy Spirit was teaching me about each piece of this divine armor, I bucked up upon one weapon that the Holy Spirit reminded me was the most often neglected piece of armor, not just by me alone, but by many of his children. And this is where we continue in the Armor of God series, uh, Lesson 7, The Arrows of Prayer. So what is prayer? Prayer in a general scope, in, in simple terms, is conversations that we have with God, right? And in First uh, Thessalonians 5.16, we are admonished to pray without ceasing. And as our relationship develops 
and begins to grow in Christ, it is only natural that we communicate with him on a regular basis. It's only normal that in this relationship that we say we have with God, that we talk with one another, right? Because if we don't, then I question the validity of the relationship. I question if we are even truly in a genuine co- uh, covenant because no one gets married to remain a silent, um, a, a distant, disengaged, uninterested spouse. How boring would that be? There must be contact. There must be, you know, conversation. There's got to be communion and there better be some consummation. Amen. There's got to be intimacy, affection. There's got to be some warmth, some understanding. It's called relationship. It's called intimacy because, Lord, into me you see. So how does this prayer work? Well, prayer works conjointly with the sword. We cannot divide these two pieces of weapon, okay? Now, let's look at what prayer is as, as it pertains uh, to the soldier and the kingdom citizen. Now, prayer, apart from it being conversations with God, okay, is also a weapon. It is a part of our spiritual armor. It is a lance. And another word for lance is a javelin or a spear. And javelins, arrows, um, even small knives, These were weapons that were actually a very beneficial piece of defense that served the soldier. And these were found on the belt of truth because they they hung in pockets or within the quiver. And the primary function of an arrow or the primary function of your prayer, okay, because we're going to use those interchangeably. And and please think about the damage that an arrow or, or a knife or a javelin can render. Its function is to cut to slice open, to pierce, and penetrate into the realm of the spirit. And again, I can only speak of my experience, okay? And in my battlefield experiences, my spiritual warfare encounters, I witnessed how my prayers became the spiritual javelins and the arrows that attacked my opponent in the spirit realm. So thrusting the lance of prayers and supplications into the realm of the spirit, just like a soldier, you know, would use his, his, his arrows, means that I am striking the enemy from a distance. And essentially what this action does is prevent the enemy from gaining ground. It keeps him from sneaking up and attacking me from a close range. And when we are praying for others, It is doing the same thing. It is intercepting and blocking the enemy from a possible sneak attack. Now, in the book of Ephesians, we have um, the book of Timothy, there's James, and a few others. And they tell us that there are various types or kinds of prayer that are available to the believer. And if we turn to 1 Timothy 2, uh, chapter 2 and verse 1, it reads, it reads, uh, okay, first of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be offered on behalf of all people. And then let's look e- um, uh, at the different types of prayers individually. Supplications. Supplication prayers is a request. And this type of prayer involves the action of asking. 
It is often said to be like the most humbling of prayers uh, because the prayers that that, that breaks out from within us, prayers that break forth in brokenness and, and in total surrender to God. Then we have number two is intercession or intercessory prayer. And intercessory prayer is an interception because this type of prayer is for the needs and concerns and welfare of others. And this prayer type positions the believer to stand in the gap for someone else. And it also serves as a powerful covering. I want you to hear me good because the believer exercises his authority in Christ to repel, to overthrow, and dismantle, and even change the outcome of the opposing power of darkness that's coming against the person or persons who is being interceded for. So we can summarize that an intercession is a divine interruption, amen, and it causes it in the spiritual realms, a Holy Ghost interference that intrudes and invades upon the enemy's playing field. And this anointed interception intervenes now to seize and arrest the powers of Satan and his demons. And this is why we take the fight into the spiritual realm, amen, because it is spiritual glory to God. Number three, it's another type of prayer, and it's the prayers of thanksgiving. And prayers of thanksgiving are prayers that are usually expressed, you know, in gratitude and appreciation uh, for many things in life, okay? Um, like, for example, uh, when we wake up in the mornings, we give thanks for our food, um, or we render gratitude for arriving safely to our destination, um, Various types of giving of thanks. Amen. So these are prayers of love and thanks for all God has uh, provided and done. Number four is worship and praise. Now, worship and praise can sometimes mimic a form of Thanksgiving prayer, but um, it differs in that it focuses on who God is while prayers of Thanksgiving centers on what God has done. And I'm going to repeat that. Worship and praise prayers focuses on who God is while prayers of Thanksgiving centers on what God has done. Make sense? Worship and prayers are enunciations. They are audible. They, they are vocal declarations or expressions that resonate from, from our hearts, amen, um, on who he is and how majestic he is, amen, because we know that God is glorious. He's omniscient. omniscient. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. It focuses on who he is. Then we have number five. And that's the prayer of faith. And James 5.15 uh, reads, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, this prayer is the prayer asking God to heal the one who is sick. And it joins hands with the arrows of intercession. So, you know, these two kind of work together because, again, you are interceding on behalf of another person. Number six is prayer of repentance, as in Second Chronicles 7.14, which reads, And if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray 
and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. And this is an international call to God's people for international repentance, and this affects us as a nation. Then we come to uh, number seven, which is the prayer of agreement. And the prayer of agreement encourages us to pray with others, okay? And this is a, a collaboration type style of prayer. It's, it's, it's a teamwork or a partnership. It's also known as the prayer, uh, prayer as in the unity that was involved in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And you see, the, the prayer of agreement is a powerful expression. It's an extension of the body unified. And these types of corporate prayers, what they do, they scatter and they demolish the enemy's alliances and, ungod- and ungodly covenants at large. Because the Bible declares in uh, Deuteronomy 32.30 that one chases a thousand, but two puts ten thousands to flight. Hallelujah. Number eight is the prayer of consecration. And consecration is a time, you know, that we set ourselves apart from everything else um, to, to follow God. It is, it's a time of purification, a time and a setting apart that ultimately leads us straight into alignment to God's perfect will. Despite what we're going through, despite how, fa- how painful or difficult our situation is, it brings us in alignment to his perfect will. And one thing that I can think about is Yeshua on the night before his crucifixion. He gave himself to this type of prayer. And and, and in Matthew 26, beginning at verse 39, it reads, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, Yeshua conquered the cross because he conquered Gethsemane through consecration, which required a dying to self. It requires dying to the flesh. Now, number nine, okay, number nine is the prayer of imprecation, okay? Now, imprecatory prayers, and I'm going to explain what it is. Imprecatory prayers are prayers that are usually found in the Psalms, like Psalm 7, like uh, Psalm 55, 69. And these are prayers that invoke or request God's judgment on the wicked to avenge the righteous. Now, please let me clarify and make this perfectly clear, because I believe that some of us have misused this type of prayer. And when studying the imprecatory psalm, it is important that we understand and that we take notice that these psalms were not written out of personal vengeance, okay? They weren't, they weren't written from a heart on the, of vindictiveness or malice. They are not prayers to curse our enemies like the world and to, you know, to speak death upon them with murderous and malign hearts so that their houses catch, you know, fire and burn down and their children drop dead. Because, you know, there are people who pray like this. These are not prayers that we subliminally fire out from our pulpits and platforms because, you know, we're at war with one another. And I'm speaking to the brethren. Because I have both heard and seen this, in, you know, plenty of times. 
And we think that God is pleased, and you know he's really not. Impregatory prayers are prayers that keep God's justice and his authority and his protection and his words in our lives in its rightful place. And this type of prayer, it's, it's, what, it's, it's a righteous appeal, okay? It's a righteous demand that accentuates God's holiness and righteous judgment. In other words, it highlights that God is righteous and just, okay? And, and it stems from a pure place. Now, I'm going to peel this onion just a little bit more. Do you remember the, the parable of the unjust judge? Luke 18 tells us the story about a very persistent woman. She was a widow, and in this story, there is an unjust, an unfair, a biased, you know, discriminatory, prejudiced judge. He lacks compassion. He has no kindness. He, he shows no empathy. He doesn't fear God. And he tells you he doesn't fear He doesn't care. He doesn't care what God thinks or what people have to say. Go read it, Luke 18. But this judge is repeatedly approached by this woman who is seeking justice. And long story short, he kept refusing to grant her justice. He kept um, denying her what was rightfully due. But what marks and makes her story indelible is that she kept coming. She didn't curse at him. She didn't swear at him. She didn't insult him. She didn't ask God to rain down fire and brimstone upon his life. She didn't ask God to kill his family. She didn't make demands that, a, you know, a tomato, a tomato, a tornado demolish all his goods. She didn't do any of those things, even if some of them were deserving. She just kept legally coming. You see, we've got to play by God's rules. And she continued her approach until one day, somebody say one day, the judge became so worn out by her consistent but rightful demands that he finally granted her justice. The woman, uh, you know, she just kept coming. And he finally, the judge finally succumbs to granting to her what was legitimately hers. Because this judge, though unjust, was no fool. And he was able to, to discern that if this woman could exhibit, you know, such public tenacity, she, de she demonstrated her civic determination because she wasn't going to quit. He knew that she was going to wear him out. Now, I strongly dislike saying this, but some of us are praying dirty prayers. We are throwing stones through our prayers and then hiding the hand that did it. And God has said that we have to maintain clean hands and a pure heart. Grant me justice against my adversary. And who is our adversary? Deliver me from my enemies who seek after my soul. Because adversary and enemy, they can be, you know, utilized synonymously, okay? And in Matthew 5, 44, it says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. And persecute means to harass, to oppress, to, to intimidate, okay? And he says, why? why? Why do we need to do this? Verse 45 answers it that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. 
He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So when you're dealing with the adversary as your opponent in the courtroom or an enemy at large, you know, when someone who, you know, an enemy who is openly hostile with you, someone who with, with deep-seated hatred against you, that's what an enemy, someone who implies hostility, aggression that proceeds out of this personal hatred that is bent on inflicting harm, an enemy is always trying to find a way to damage or injure you. So when you or we are praying um, from those imprecatory psalms, they must stem from a heart that is pure and with an understanding of seeing the entire picture because this is our enemy at work. He's behind the scenes using people to fulfill his wicked agenda. Remember, the Bible says, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That is what the word says. And, and when we do cry out for divine vengeance, it is because we are looking to God and knowing that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Amen. You see, God has given us a way of escape so as to not dirty our lips and sin with our tongues. This is why he said, I will bless those that bless you and curse those who curse you. Amen. And even now... You know, I can hear the Lord saying in Isaiah 49, 25, For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant shall be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. So weeping mother and grieving father, God is at war for our children. Only be still because he knows where our children, he knows where they are. They may be held captive under a tyrant, under an abuser, but God has promised that he will save our children. He said it and so shall it be established. Glory to God. Then we have number 10 and I'm almost finished. We have praying in the spirit according to 1 Corinthians 14. And this has to do with prophecy and tongues. And these are the prayers of the saints when he or she is unable to pray or pray in his known language. You know, have you ever felt that you didn't know how to pray or what to pray for, but you knew that there was something burning in your belly that, that wanted to, you know, be released and it just wanted to burst forth? Well, well, in those moments, this is when the Spirit himself desires to make intercession for us because he knows what to pray. Amen. And number 11 is spiritual warfare, which is really part of nine. And because this one here, in addition to, to uh, actually to 10, unlike the Spirit himself not making the intercession for us through the gift of tongue, um, the believer is directed to pray in the Spirit with understanding, amen, with interpret, you know, and there could be interpretations, and that's when we get revelations, we get visions and dreams, and we get, we get divine instruction and direction, and I will conclude this teaching here as I leave you with these closing thoughts. Your armor of God is a gift from the Lord. He would not have given it to us if he didn't believe we would need it for our today. And so I implore you to go back to the teachings of the series if you need to for, you know, references or research or, or do your own Bible study so that you can truly understand and be reminded that each piece of this divine armor works together. There is not one without the other. And just like an automobile, if the tires are shot or blown out, 
the, the car, no matter how, re, how new and powerful the engine, no matter how expensive and beautiful it is in appearance, it is not going anywhere. Put on the armor of God so that you can stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And finally, in Daniel 9.18, it reads, We do not make requests of you because we are righteous but because of your great mercy. Father, I have obeyed your voice. I have delivered your word to your people. Now sanctify them through thy truth, for thy word is truth. We love you, and we give you all the praise tonight. In Yeshua's name, amen and amen. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Nardigus and Ministries teaching broadcast. I am Narda Goodson, your host. Be sure to tune in next week, same time, same place, for another powerful, life-changing, burden-removing, yoke-destroying, anointed Word of God, where Yeshua is Lord, and of His kingdom there shall be no end. Shalom.